Good morning. My name is Debbie. The Old Testament reading is found in Nehemiah 2:17 through 18. So I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem is in ruins and its gates are destroyed by fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we won't continue to be in disgrace. I told them that my God had taken care of me and also told them what the king had said to me. Let's start rebuilding, they said, and they eagerly began the work. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Allison. The New Testament reading is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. May the God of peace, who brought back the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing to do his will by developing in us what pleases him through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and always. Amen. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Randy Lynn Johnson. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Matthew 12, 9 through 13. Jesus left that place and went into their synagogue. A man with a withered hand was there. Wanting to bring charges against Jesus, they asked, does the law allow a person to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, who among you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath and will not take hold of it and pull it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So the law allows a person to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he did, and it was made healthy just like the other one. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. Today, up at New Life North, uh, the first of our many congregations, some of you know that New Life Downtown is one of eight congregations of New Life Church here in the city. They're celebrating uh, the fact that our senior pastor over all of New Life, Pastor Brady Boyd and his wife wife Pam, uh, are celebrating 15 years of leading at New Life Church. Uh, and we're so grateful for them, for their life, for their leadership, and the vision to say what we want to see happen at New Life is lots of congregations over the city making disciples. And so I'm particularly grateful for uh, the way in which Pastor Brady has empowered congregations to go out and to minister in our city. So I want to pray for him and that congregation this morning and pray for us as we open the scriptures together. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you uh, for Pastor Brady and for Pastor Pam. Thank you for uh, their marriage. Thank you for their life. Thank you for their kids, uh, for Abram and Callie. And thank you for the 15 years of faithful service that they've given to New Life Church. And thank you for their uh, belief in a multi-congregational model that allows us to gather here in the center of our city. We are so grateful and we ask that you would continue to bless and keep them and our family up at New Life North, bless and keep them as well. And thank you for the chance that we have to be gathered together in your name to open the scriptures that you've given to us. And we ask as we do so that you would speak, Holy Spirit, come and fill this time with your presence. Speak directly to us through your word. And would you do the deep work of healing and restoration that only you can do in us? Pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, it was late November 
2013, when the world became enchanted. There was a time for a few years where everywhere you looked and every time you turned on the radio, we saw signs of how enamored we had become with Elsa and Anna and Kristoff and Sven and Olaf. Everywhere you looked, there was frozen fever, like breaking out to the point where several years later, one of our kids had had so much frozen that every time Let It Go came on the radio, they screamed and asked us to turn it off. It was like, this is just too much at this point in time. Anytime a movie like that sort of takes off, there's always certain things that are true about it. There's usually, you know, some great script or in that case, great animation, some catchy songs, uh, maybe some actors or actresses and things that are just doing a phenomenal job. But one of the things that's true for every, I think every film that really has that kind of, uh, of success inside of society is what it's really doing underneath all that is it's resonating with something core inside of us. That there are messages, there are themes that come up in the film that actually strike something inside of us that's universal to humanity. And it, that film has so many of those kinds of moments. One of those poignant ones is really early on in the film. Uh, for those of you who have seen it, you'll track along for those who haven't. It's been nine years. So the spoiler alerts are all okay at this point. So when Elsa accidentally uh, almost kills her sister, Anna, uh, there's this, that's a big spoiler alert. Like at this point in time, you're like, really? Uh, nine years, guys. It's plenty of time. Uh, there, there's a moment then a little bit later on where you see these siblings separated by what has happened. And it's set to the song, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? There's that moment where you hear the knock and little Anna comes up to Elsa's door and says, Elsa? <laughs> and Elsa doesn't answer. She starts singing, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Right, And this whole song kind of goes on. It's like, it doesn't have to be a snowman. There's this yearning inside of her to be with her sister and to do something meaningful, to do something significant with her sister. And in those moments, we're all kind of leaning in and having our hearts wrenched because we know what it's like to feel separated from people that we love. And we know what it's like to yearn for some deep connection and relationship and to want those relationships in our lives to actually be meaningful, to actually be a part of building or making something beautiful in the world. We want to have a kind of deep connection and we want to have some deep significance. In the book of Nehemiah, which we're going through the beginning part of this fall, we find actually these things co coincide in the chapters that we're going to be rebuilding or we're going to be reading today as Nehemiah is inviting the people of God to come together and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. As a little bit of a recap, especially for those of you who may not be familiar with scriptures and where this falls kind of historically, I want to set a little background for us to begin. It was in 587 BC, 587 or 586, that the southern kingdom of Judah and its capital city of Jerusalem, the kingdom of David, if you will, was destroyed by an evil empire coming out of the east known as the Babylonians. The Babylonians were particularly cruel in that they would sort of take over a land, they would destroy its temple, destroy homes, and they would take a sizable portion of the population and exile them, take them out of the land. So the destruction was enough, we're actually going to remove you, take you into captivity 
captivity and they took them into exile in Babylon, about 900 to 1,000 miles away. And the people of God found themselves there for 70 years, 70 years living with that kind of hurt and pain. Then all of a sudden things begin to shift for them in 539 when another empire rose up and Cyrus the Great and the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And one of the unique things that Cyrus did was that he actually saw all these collected people around the empire and he sent them back home. He said, go back, return and rebuild your cities, rebuild your temples, rebuild your life and society. And so slowly over time, the people of God begin to return back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the altar, they rebuild the temple, but things are taking a long time and things are not great. And all of a sudden we find in 446, we're introduced to the character of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is actually back in uh, the Persian empire. And he learns that the walls and gates of Jerusalem still lie in ruin. And when he hears this, it touches his heart. It breaks his heart. He sits down, he weeps, he fasts, he prays. He turns toward God in the middle of his disappointment. And as so often happens, as we turn toward God in prayer, God actually deposits something inside of our hearts. Chapter two, verse 11, it says that the Lord placed or set something in Nehemiah's heart, told him to do something for Jerusalem, namely to return and to begin to rebuild the walls. But in order to do so, he realized he was going to need some help. Now, Nehemiah at the time is uh, in the cap or in the winter sort of home of the Persian kings, a place called Susa. And at the time, he is the cupbearer to the king. This is not quite the way that we think about it. Sometimes we're like, oh, cupbearer. That's like the royal sommelier. He's, you know, sitting there for the king and, you know, tasting the wine and saying, I have, there's notes of cedar and strawberry. Uh, so this would pair really nicely with that salmon or venison or whatever it is. And, you know, that's not what he's doing. Instead, what he's doing is he's taking a drink of the wine to make sure it's not poison to kill the king. <laughs> He's not working on pairing. He's just sort of trying to protect the king from getting killed. Because the most common form of assassination kind of early on in some of these empires uh, was to actually poison the king's wine. It's like coup in a cup. If you want to take over and be the next king, you take out the competition through their wine. So they thought instead of stopping drinking wine, which may have been like a logical thing to do, they're like, oh, you know, we should have somebody taste it beforehand. (laughs) Better they die. So here's Nehemiah. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's not a king. He's not a scribe like Ezra. He's a server and someone who puts his life on the line. But over the course of time, he's proven himself to be trustworthy to the king. And he has this particular position of access, a position of relationship. And so what Nehemiah does is as he's fasting and praying and as this gets laid on his heart to do, he takes a risk and he boldly asks the king for what it is that he's going to need. He asks the king that, to let him go and to give him everything that he's going to need to actually rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. This is particularly dangerous because at that time, if you approach the king in a way that he doesn't like, or you approach the king at a time that he doesn't like, or you approach the king and say something he doesn't like, guess what happens? You get beheaded. 
It's not enough that you've actually been tasting this guy's wine for a long time and keeping him alive. If you happen to say something he doesn't like, you're going to pay for it. In fact, there's a commentator that says that there are some reliefs of showing people approaching uh, the kings, the Persian kings, and they're covering their mouth as they're coming forward. And what they think is going on is that the person who's coming to speak to the king doesn't want to possibly offend the king with their bad breath. So they're covering their mouth just in case, because bad breath could cost you your head. This is the kind of world that he's in. But he goes ahead and he takes this risk and he asks the king for what he needs. And the king grants it, gives him everything that he's going to need. And all of a sudden the narrative shifts from Susa to Jerusalem. Nehemiah makes the trip and he's there three days and he goes on a little nighttime ride with some friends and he inspects the walls. After he sees actually the situation that they're in, confirms everything, he then invites the community's participation. This is what he says, Nehemiah 2, 17. So I said to them, guys, you see the trouble that we're in. Like, just look around. You see it. Jerusalem's in ruins. Its gates are destroyed by fire. So come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we won't continue to be in disgrace And I told them that my God had taken care of me. And I also told them what the king had said to me. And so here's what they said. They said, let's do it. Let's start rebuilding. And they eagerly began the work. Now this text, particularly Nehemiah 2 and Nehemiah 3, are filled with a bunch of Hebrew idioms, things that get lost in translation from one language to the next. And so what happens when Sarah and I are trying to communicate about things, something gets lost somewhere in translation in the midst of it. So what I want to do today is I want to take a few minutes to highlight some of the things that are happening here in the original language. I'm going to nerd out a little bit, but be patient with me because it's going to be worth it, okay? So the first phrase says, that Nehemiah told them how God had taken care of me. In the original language, it says that Nehemiah told them that the hand of my God was good upon me. Think about that for a minute. The image here is the hand of God was good upon Nehemiah. Nehemiah actually uses a similar phrase earlier in chapter two, verse eight. He says, the king gave me what I asked for. That the reason that he had all of these resources and everything that he needed, the king gave me what I asked for because the gracious power of my God was with me. The original language is because the good hand of God was upon me. The hand of God was good upon Nehemiah. The good hand of God was upon him. It's translated power here because in a Hebrew mindset, the idea of hand is symbolic of power. This is where we exercise our strength is through our hands in the world. And so they imagine God the same way as God whose hand is active. The hand of God is a demonstration of the power of God at work in the world. The second phrase that we see here that's really interesting is the place where it says that they eagerly began the work. This is the sort of dream we all have when we invite people in to do something. You know, the, if you're a team leader or a supervisor at work and you're like, guys, let's start doing this. And all of the employees just eagerly begin the work all the time, right? Teachers, every time you give an assignment, every student just eagerly begins the work. Parents, it's time to unload the dishwasher, kids. And they eagerly begin the work every time, right? The original language here actually says this. It says that they strengthened their hands for the good. 
that they strengthened their hands for the good. Notice the repetition of language here. Now we go into chapter three and we actually see what begins to happen. We're going to put the verses up on the screen, at least on this side over here. Uh, but we're going to skip through because there's about 800 names here that are really hard to pronounce. Uh, so follow along with me with some of these pra- phrases. It says, then Elishab, the high priest, he set to work with his fellow priests and he built the sheep gate And they dedicated it and they set up its doors and they dedicated as far as the tower of the hundred and as far as the tower of Hanel. And then the people of Jericho, they built next to them. And Zahur, Imri's son, built next to them. And we keep going on and we see this phrase being repeated and next to them, so-and-so made repairs. 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 All except when we get down to verse five, next to them, the people from Decoa made repairs, but their officials, they wouldn't help with the work of their supervisors. The phrase translated next to them is really upon his hand or upon their hands. Upon his hand, upon their hands. Someone set to work and upon his hand or upon their hand. And that word made repairs is the same word we saw earlier, strengthened, made strong. Upon one's hands, they made strong. They strengthened, they rebuilt the wall, except for the one group that wouldn't help with the work. The original language says that they wouldn't put their necks into it. (laughs) In English, we would say like they wouldn't put their back into it or that they were stiff-necked that because of their pride, they would not engage in the work. But here's the picture that emerges, is that the good hand of God was upon Nehemiah. The power, the strength of God, the good hand of God, the hand of God was good upon him. And God placed in his heart to rebuild and provided everything that he was going to need. By the hand of God, he provided everything it was that Nehemiah was going to need to rebuild the wall. And then Nehemiah returns and he invites the people to enter into this process, to rebuild the walls with him, to join him in doing good. And so the people strengthened their hands. They committed themselves to this good thing and strong hand upon strong hand, they strengthened the wall. Strong hand upon strong hand, they strengthened the wall, but some refused to add their strength to the work. I think the picture that emerges here is actually a way in which God works in the world. That we see here a picture of how it is that God actually goes about accomplishing his purposes in the world. That the good God strengthens his people in order to strengthen his good work through his people. The good God strengthens his people in order to strengthen his work, the good thing that he's doing in the world through his people. New Life Downtown, God has strengthened you. He has strengthened us in order to strengthen his work, to strengthen others, to strengthen his kingdom through us. Hebrews puts it this way, God has equipped you with every good thing to do his will by developing in us what pleases him through Jesus Christ. From Genesis on, one of the ways that the scriptures depict God 
is that God is consistently depicted as a worker, as a craftsman, as a builder, as someone who works with his hands, who creates and develops and builds. And yet also from Genesis on, what we see is a picture of God who prefers to build and strengthen and to do his work with and through his people. He's not just out there doing it all on his own, but he's simply saying, hey, I want you to be a part of us. This is why he made us in his image, that we might participate, that we might join in, that we might join in the work that he is doing in the world. We're filled with the spirit of God that we might build with him and that through him, he might build his work in the world. A few years ago or a few weeks ago, we were talking about the church. We said, this is what God does. God builds us into the church. The church is not something we make. The church is something that we're made into. And at the same time, we get to be a part of the construction We get to join in and be a part of what it is that God's building. It reminds me of maybe you have those moments as a kid where a parent invited you to do something with them. Maybe they were doing a project in the backyard. I remember at one point where my my dad and my grandpa and my brothers were building a swing set. And like, I was just little, like, hey, come and build this with us. Or maybe those moments you have with a parent where they invite you to come and help them to bake a cake or maybe to make breakfast. And at the end of all of that, you, if you get a chance to talk to the kid, what does the kid say? I built a swing set, right? I made breakfast. Here's the reality. The house that the breakfast is being made in was provided by the parents. The appliances, the parents. The bowls and the plates and the spoons and the knives and the cups, where, the parents. The groceries, the parents. Right? And then you think, where does the recipe come from? Where's the supervision come from? The parents. What is it that the kid actually did? Like held mom's hand as an egg was cracked into the bowl, right? And then mom's picking out the, you know, the little cracked portions of the egg. They may help stir up a little bit. And then dad's got to come in and finish the stirring from there. But at the end, the kid's like, I made breakfast. I think this is what God's like with us. It's providing everything and then saying, come on, you can crack an egg, <laughs> right? Come on, I, because God so wants to build with us and through us. He's inviting us to participate. The good God wants to strengthen us that we might be a part of his strengthening of the work that he is doing in the world. And so with that image in mind, I wanna encourage you to reflect on four questions this week from this passage in Nehemiah. The first one is this. How has God strengthened you? What is it that God has deposited in you? What is it that God has entrusted to you? The posture of a Christian is to see every good gift as something from God. Everything that we have is actually evidence of his grace, is evidence of the good hand of God upon us. Nehemiah, though in exile, saw his position, his abilities, the opportunity that was before him, and even all of the resources that came from the king, he saw all of them as evidence of the good hand of God upon his life. How has the good hand of God been upon your life? What is the evidence of it? How has he made you? What are those things that when you think about, oh, God has fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely made me with these skills, with these passions, with these desires, with these abilities? What is that he has gifted you with? 
what opportunities, what education, what spiritual gifts, what joys has he sort of deposited inside of you? How has he equipped you? What kind of training have you received? What sort of skills have you developed? What resources has he entrusted into your hand? Do you see all of those things as evidence of the good hand of God upon your life, the ways in which he has strengthened you? The second question is this, what has God called you to strengthen? What has he called you to strengthen? God invites all of his kids to come and do good with him. He invites all of us. God is the great one sitting there saying, let's build something together. I want to be a part of this with you. He's constantly sending an invitation to us to join him in his work. That invitation doesn't come to just a select few. It's not just to missionaries and pastors. And no, it's an invitation for all of us to join him in his work. Nehemiah sort of embodies this invitation of God. He sends it out to, and the whole community with a few exceptions. They show up and what do they do? They get to work. They strengthen their hands for the good thing. And they take up different parts of the wall, different sections, different towers, different gates, different portions, but all part of the same city. They're each unique role, each in their unique place, but all building the one city of God. The same is true for us. We're all called to different areas, all called to different spheres, all have different responsibilities, all have different areas of influence. But, we're, but all of those things are part of the same kingdom. They're part of God's kingdom. And so what part of the wall has God called you to? What gate, what tower, where is it that he has placed you? It certainly includes your household the place that you live and the people that you live with. Includes the neighborhood where you go about your walks or you're out mowing your yard or seeing what's going on with your neighbors. Includes the place that you work. Includes the beautiful city that we live in. And certainly includes our church. That we're all invited into the way in which God is building us together as a church to say, what has God deposited here? How has he strengthened us, New Life Downtown, that we might be the strength to our city, that we might join God in the good work that he's doing? It would be some of the things that we talk about on Wednesday night. We're going to gather back here Wednesday night, 6.30 to 7.30 for our first all-congregation meeting since our transition to say, okay, what is it that God has deposited here? How do we pay attention and call attention to the work of God in our midst? And where is the invitation of God to be a strength to one another, a strength to our city, a strength to our world? We're going to start talking about some of those things together. If you can't make it on Wednesday, it'll stream on our Facebook group, or we'll also record it and we can get it out to you uh, from there. I know some of you have back to school stuff and other things that are still going on. But how has God strengthened you? What has he called you to strengthen? Third question is, who has he brought alongside of you? Nehemiah did not and could not build the wall alone. Neither could the high priest or Imri's son or any of the other people who are mentioned in that list whose names we find it quite difficult to pronounce. Friends, you are not strengthening alone. You can never forget that God is actually the primary one at work. We're just joining him in what it is that he's doing, cracking our eggs into the bowl. But even in that, we're not doing it alone. We're doing it with him and we're doing it with one another. Who are those that he's brought alongside of you? And who has he brought you alongside? 
This certainly includes our roommates and our spouses, the people that we live with. We're meant to sort of hand upon hand strengthen our homes. This is what that looks like, inviting our kids into that process as well. This is what it means for us to live together in this house, hand upon hand, strength upon strength, building up the kind of place that is safe and beautiful and lovely to live in. This is what we're doing with our coworkers, the people that we come alongside in the workplace, strong hand upon strong hand, building up a place of work that is a good and healthy place to work, where people's resources can come together, their ideas and their talents can be utilized, and we can produce something for the good of other people. This is certainly what happens with other believers in the church. Strong hand upon strong hand, coming alongside one another. It happens every single Sunday. There are people who bring their strength to come and set up. People that bring their strong hands to welcome us at the door, to make us coffee or to play instruments or to welcome kids and to teach them in the way of Jesus. It's strong hand upon strong hand upon strong hand all Sunday morning long, helping us to become, uh, have a place to be formed into the image and likeness of Jesus. This is actually why we do meal groups too. Meal groups is a coming alongside one another, bringing our strength together to build the community of that group, yes, but also to hear about how things are going on other parts of the wall. Oh, you're in a school. Tell me about that. Tell me what you're doing. How can we come alongside and strengthen you as you're serving as a teacher? Oh, you're a counselor. Oh, you're a mental health professional. How can we come alongside and strengthen you? Oh, you're doing foster care. How can we strengthen you? Oh, you're in a business. How are things going to their customers with your employees? Oh, you're an architect. Oh, you're working on water stuff in the city. Oh, you're doing this. How can we strengthen you? Tell us about what God is doing there. We find encouragement in the midst of those things. That's why we encourage you to join a meal group because it's a way in which hand upon hands, we see the good hand of God at work in our midst. The last question, the one that's sometimes hardest to think about, but how is it that you're using your God-given strength? There's a risk in God's approach. That invitation to include us on everything that he's doing, to want to build with his people, to want to build with his kids. The risk that God takes in strengthening us and gifting us and equipping us and inviting us as if we might actually misuse the strength that he's given us. It's the risk that God takes. And we might actually use the power he's given us to to weaken rather than to strengthen. Then we might use the influence that he's given us to tear down rather than to build up. Then we might use it for our own good, for our own gain, for our own glory, rather than for others good and for his glory. Or we might be like those officials from Tekoa. We might withhold it in some way. We might refuse to add our strength to something out of pride or something that we might find some resistance inside of us. And yet if we're really honest, you think sometimes our resistance actually isn't about any of those things. It can be. Sometimes our resistance is not about pride or selfishness or greed. Our resistance is about our own pain, our own sense of loss, our own sense of feeling that maybe we don't have anything significant to contribute or that maybe we've been disqualified in some way that we, because of a decision that we made or a decision somebody else made or because of things that are going on in life like that, invitation doesn't include me. We feel separated from the invitation. 
to like, yes, God wants to build, but not sure he wants to build with me. Or maybe at times you just feel like I, I don't really have anything to offer. I think a lot of times we can feel that whatever strength that we might have to give, that it's waned in some way. It's withered, that it's been lost. And yet what we believe 100% is that God is always in the business of not just rebuilding walls, but rebuilding lives. He wants to restore us. It's actually his primary project. It's about restoring his people to come alongside. We see this all the time in Jesus. And sometimes I think we feel like the guy in our gospel story, the man with the withered hand. Maybe what it is is we feel like our strength has been impacted in some way. Maybe it's our physical strength that's been impacted. Oftentimes, we don't feel like we have the emotional strength or maybe the mental strength or the financial strength or the relational strength that somehow in some way what we may have once felt like we had to give, that it's been sapped from us in some way, that it's been taken, that it's been lost, that it's withered, that it's waned. And now we're no longer included in the great work of God. And I think the invitation that we see in the gospel passage is Jesus coming up to each of us and asking us to stretch out that thing stretch out whatever it is where we need healing or we need restoration or we need God's help or we need Jesus to come alongside of us. And as we stretch out to him, he stretches out his hand and the good hand of God comes upon us once again, restores us, revives us, heals us, helps us, lifts us back up and all of a sudden we can begin to imagine what it means to be strengthened by God and be invited to strengthen others, not because we're doing so in our own strength, but because we know the strength of God, the one who heals us. Would you close your eyes this morning as we prepare to come to the table? Let's just take a moment and think what that might be for you. Is there a place in your life where you need God to come and to heal, to restore, to redeem. And would you imagine today Jesus coming up to you and asking you to stretch out your hand? And you can stretch it out if you want to, or you can just in your heart say, Jesus, this is the thing. Here's my heartache, here's my disappointment, here's my pain, here's my loss, here's my sorrow, here's my shame. Here's my grief, here's my doubt, here's my fear. Here's what I feel like I'll never have again. Can you imagine Jesus stretching out his hand to you? The good hand of God coming to be a good upon you. Would you ask him, would you say, Jesus, would you take this? Would you heal this? Would you help? Maybe today you know that maybe you feel full strength in your life, but the person that you're with, maybe you just want to take and place your hand on their hand. Maybe it's an invitation today to, to be one who comes alongside to strengthen. Or you know someone in your home or your neighborhood or your workplace. And God's saying, hey, I want to strengthen that person through you.
Maybe you rest your hand on someone else's hand, pray for them this morning. Hand upon hand is how the work of God goes. Just a moment, we're going to come to the table together. And I love how the table embodies this image. We come to the table next to one another, hand upon hand. And we come open-handed, bringing whatever our stuff is, open-handed to the hand of God who gives strength. And we ask him to strengthen us with the very life of his son. So Jesus, would you do that for us today? Would you strengthen us? That through us, you might bring the strength of your kingdom to our world. In Jesus' name.